Hey church family, it's just uh, amazing to be together with you once again. And uh, we're just so thankful for the uh, power of technology that still uh, allows us to connect. Even though we're isolated, we're not alone. And uh, it's just so good to be here with you again today as you uh, watch this sermon today. And uh, I just wanna just say thank you to our many amazing volunteers and people. We've been trying to contact our entire church family and hopefully you've received a call already. If you haven't, you're gonna get one. And if you don't, then you can contact us and let us know, hey, I'm, I'm still here, but we're really trying to connect with you. And uh, our staff's been working so furiously hard to kind of reshape what a Sunday service looks like. And so I just wanna thank them and commend them for all of their hard work this last little season. And uh, I want to start us with prayer, and then we're going to look at a message today called Peace Under Pressure. But why don't we pray together and uh, just uh, give this time to the Lord and ask Him for His help and for the Holy Spirit's wisdom to fill our hearts. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your grace and Your peace that comes to us today, Lord. We thank You that You are for us and not against us. We thank you, God, that as we come before you, Lord, you help us uh, to trust you, to live with you, to live with one another, and to live in victory and confidence in such a time as this. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you come now and teach us to even further find a deeper peace than even passes our own understanding. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to tell you a story to start off with here at Church Family. And uh, this is a story about a friend of mine. And uh, when I started thinking about peace under pressure, I thought this guy really exemplifies what peace under pressure is all about. And I can't tell you his name, but I can tell you his story because uh, I can't really say who he is because he's a pastor in a Middle Eastern country. And uh, if I shared his name on a, on a media message like this, uh, it could actually put him or his church in danger. And uh, I was just thinking about his life, and uh, it really kind of resonated with me to share you his story for just a few minutes. Um, as a pastor in the Middle East, you know, his, uh, his church is kind of constantly under pressure uh, from, you know, even government and from other uh, religious communities around them because, you know, ideology sometimes conflict the gospel, though it is the good news of God and the message of peace. Sometimes people don't understand that. And so their church has been under a lot of pressure and external conflict has happened that way. So much so that even as a pastor, he's been imprisoned for his faith. And, uh, you know, he was just telling me that, uh, you know, even in, in being in prison, you know, he would have uh, visitors from his church congregation would come and he would have to write letters back to his church in order for them to get messages. And uh, it's just kind of this incredible story. He was sharing to me, as a matter of fact, one story that was being shared was, um, not only was this persecution happening around him, and he's in chains and in prison kind of thing, and uh, he gets this message, his, his church leaders come and say, you know, we're having some conflict with two members of the church. So much conflict, as a matter of fact, they're, you know, they're even starting to bring division into the church. And so he has to write a letter back to his church family and say, guys, like, listen, you need to start getting along. Like, there are bigger things for you to be, uh, you know, to trust God in and don't be attacking one another. 
And then to top it all off in the midst of that, while he's in chains, while there's this external pressure, while there's this pressure within his church, he then writes him this note and basically says, okay, guys, here's how you have peace under pressure. And so I actually have a copy of that note. I'm going to read to you what he actually wrote to his church family. And it goes like this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I told you this story happened a little while ago. It was actually over 2,000 years ago that it happened. And the church really was facing outside pressure. And uh, that, that was happening. And the guy who wrote this, his name is actually Paul. I can tell you his name. And uh, he really was in prison when he wrote this and wrote this note back to his church. See, he had all kinds of stress that was happening in his life because, you know, he had care for not only his own circumstances, but also for the, the churches that he had, had sponsored and been part of as an apostle in that area. And so he reads, writes in this letter, I said he was a friend of mine, and I'm going to tell you, he really is a friend of mine. I have sat with Paul many times and read his letters over and over again, and they have brought me great wisdom and great peace and great confidence. And I think Paul, my friend and your friend that one day we're going to meet when we go to heaven, is really qualified to teach us about peace under pressure. I mean, think about his life and all the things I mentioned that were actually happening and occurring in his life. And yet he finds time to not only care for his church community, but to bring this letter that brings encouragement, comfort, and a tremendous sense of peace, even under the pressures that we are facing today. The pressure that he was talking about then is the same pressure that we're talking about today, and it's really talking about worry or anxiety. And that's why he says in that little phrase that I quoted to you out of Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. Now you're thinking to yourself, Paul, you know, it's easy for you to say, you know, like it's kind of one of those bad advice things. You, this is what you, you think about, you know, don't worry about anything. It's kind of like telling, you know, me when I'm a little bit overweight, you know, stop eating so many carbs. You're not helping me. You know, like you've you got to give me a little more than that to help me through this time in my life. You know, but I, I want to just take a moment, church, to talk about worry. I want to talk about anxiety before we look at the Apostle Paul's incredible example and teaching and the Holy Spirit's teaching on how to overcome and to have peace under pressure. Well, what is worry or anxiety? You know, we found out uh, last week, you know, it, it, one of the things it means is to be pulled in many directions. And when you're anxious, you're getting yanked on and you're getting pulled and you're getting stretched in all kinds of different areas. You're being called to look at different things. And that, that, that separation from a clear vision of, of God begins to create anxiety in your life and in your heart. It's interesting, you know, our hopes try to pull us one way, but how many of you know your fears are also trying to pull you another way? And uh, so we, we come to this point of understanding and Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. And we start there and we begin to understand. Warren Wiersbe actually says this, and I like what he had. He said, the old English root from which we get the word worry means to strangle. And I don't know about you, 
But, you know, we're in a time and a season in our life when it just feels like we're being strangled. You know, you feel like you're in a wrestling match against worry and anxiety, and it feels like you're getting strangled and you're getting choked out, kind of like a wrestler analogy. And all you want to do is tap the mat and say, okay, I'm done. This is enough. You win, you win. And, I, I, you know, it's in this time and it's in this moment in our history that we have this incredible truth in the book of Philippians that is practiced truth throughout the history of the church. How many of you know that there are times in our life that anxiety and worry even creates physical and emotional problems in our life? And so it's very, very important for us to understand that and to know that there's a way to overcome it. You know that uh, researchers say, and there, this varies in very various degrees, but you know 90% of what people worry about actually never comes to pass. And some researchers even say 97% of what people worry about never comes to pass. And the 3% that does happen happens in various degrees, not to the extreme that they're thinking. And so, you know, many of the things that we are worried about right now are never gonna come to pass. That's an incredible thought to meditate on. And how many of you know this has been happening for many years and many generations? I was thinking about this quote 500 years ago, a guy named Michel de Montaigne said this, my life, has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. Do you know that's how we are in our world today? We think of the misfortune that could happen and we think it has happened, but really it never really has happened. You know, it's not quite enough. Now listen to me carefully. It's not quite enough to tell ourselves, quit worrying because worry is an inside job that takes some time and effort to get victory over. And so you need to understand that. So how do we find peace under pressure according to what Paul has taught us? And according to this text, I think the first thing is this, right praying, right praying helps us to find peace under pressure. Has it come to that, Pastor Greg? Has it come to prayer? Is prayer the answer? And I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Prayer is the answer. And I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes. You know, if you think about it, uh, in this text, Paul uses four words that talk about prayer. And those words are rejoice, prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Four different words. Rejoice, prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Well, then, what is that telling us? Number one is this. Prayer starts with praise. Why? Because in order to overcome your anxiety, in order to overcome your worry, you need to get your eyes off yourself. You know, you are the beautiful ones of the Lord. You are the created in the image of God. You are beautiful in so many ways. But you know, you need to stop looking at yourself at a time like this. And you need to look above yourself and you need to see God. And that's why our text started off and it said, rejoice in the Lord, always. And it's interesting, the word rejoice just means greet God. Say hello. It, it's, a, it's a word of salutation or, or greeting. It's, it's actually just waking up to the fact that God is with you in your present circumstance. And so he tells you, rejoice in the Lord always. And that word always is a very interesting word. It means you're ever when. You're every when. That's what it means. And uh, when do you rejoice? Everything. When am I supposed to do that? Every time you're thinking about God, 
rejoice. And uh, I will say it again, he says in our text. I will say it again. Rejoice. He reminds us and he tells us, and we were asking the question, why God? Again, he goes on later in the text and he says, the Lord is near. Even though you don't see him right now, even though you don't feel him, even though anxiety is pressing in, remember you're in a wrestling match right now. You're in a bit of a battle right now. This is the work of the Christian. And he's saying, I want you to rejoice. And whoa, 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 wake up. I'm going to tell you again, rejoice. Why? Because the Lord, he's near. He's right there. He's as close as the mention of his name. He, and the Bible actually says that word, the Lord is near. That word means he bends in toward you. It's like an elbow being bent. It's like God is squeezing you. God is hugging you. God is close as the mention of his name, even closer still. You know, I've said this in our church many times. God's address is your present reality. Whatever you're going through in your life, God is right there, but you got to wake up to that fact. And that's why you rejoice. I'm going to go back for a moment and just talk about when he says, I will say it again rejoice. That word again is this word palin. Pal-in is the way for you to remember it. Pal-in. And uh, it literally means in the, in the original language, oscillatory repetition. Oscillatory repetition. You know what it's talking about? It's like a heartbeat. It's like a sine wave. That's actually what it's saying. It's saying when you're, you know, you're going up, you're rejoicing in the Lord, you're going to start going down. And he says, I want you to do it again. I want you to do it again. It's like this heartbeat of the Christian is to constantly reorient ourselves to recognize God, to say, God, I, I'm, I'm falling, I'm failing, I'm feeling fear. I begin to praise you again. And, and God is saying, I want that Christian to understand their heartbeat is in rejoicing. It's starting a prayer. The start of prayer is to worship God. It's to rejoice in the Lord always. You know, there was an old song that says, Rejoice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Remember that one? I, I'm getting it wrong, but let that go in your heart. And what he's saying is, Rejoice in the Lord, for you've got a pal in Jesus. That's what the word again means, pal in. I was thinking about it, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, but I wanted to remember this and I wanted to give you something to remember this by. So I started thinking about Toy Story. You know, you've got a friend in me. You know, if you just change the words a little bit, it's actually a good word for you. You've got a pal in me. You've got a pal in me. Listen to the words. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. I don't know if that makes sense, but there you go. You just remember what your old pal in said. You've got a friend in me. Listen to this. It was like Jesus wrote this song. He goes on and says this, you got a friend in me, you got a friend in me. If you've got troubles, I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we can see it through because you've got a pal in me. Yeah, you've got a pal in me. That's what God is saying to you, church. You've got a pal in him. So rejoice in him. Rejoice in the Lord again, I will say. It's how we start to pray. It's to take our eyes off of ourselves. You know, I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm not trying to be just humorous or funny in such a time as this. I, I understand there's a lot of stress and a, a lot of strain. I need you to know something. I'm in this with you. My family's in this too. We're all going through this together. But I'm going to tell you, looking at myself and looking at my circumstances is not helping me to gain victory over this. So I can only look to God. 
that I have a pal in him. So I rejoice again. And I will say, I rejoice again. The text goes on and says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And see, this is the work of the Christian. What does that word mean, gentleness? It's made up of two Greek words. The first one is epi, which means a super imposition upon time or space. And the second word is case, which means to yield or to give place to. So the work of the Christian, when he says, be gentle, let your gentleness be evident to all, he's saying superimpose upon your situation. Put pressure on your situation. When your situation is putting pressure on you, your job is to push back, to superimpose upon that by yielding yourself to God. Wow. And I was thinking about it, and again, I'm not trying to be flippant, but it sounded a bit cowboyish to me, and kind of like, you know, we need to get our rodeo on. That's what I was thinking. You know, it's, it's like, it's epi, epi I case. Doesn't that sound right? Epi I case. You know, that's what we need to say. Epi I case, I'm going through a hard time. I'm going to press into God. Epi I case, my emotions and my thoughts are pressing in on me. I need to run to my father. Epi I case, God is on the throne, even though the devil's trying to push me down. You need to get your cowboy on right now, church. Amen. The devil has to look at you and see such a look in your eyes that says, devil, get out of my way because I'm running my father. And if you're standing in my way, you're going to get run over. That's what it means to be gentle. It means that I'm going to press into God. I'm going to superimpose upon what is imposing on me right now. This is the power of worship. You have a choice, church. You yield to fear or you yield to God. That's it. (laughs) There is no spiritual Switzerland right now. It is you are doing one or you are doing the other. And I'm going to tell you, it's time for your gentleness to be evident. Amen? To epic eye case yourself out of what you're going through by turning to God. You know, we're riding the the bucking bronco of fear right now, church. It's time to run to God and to hang on to Him. But understand, it's going to take effort. It's going to take effort. You know, anxiety and fear is constantly going to be pushing against you. They're not going to relent. So you got to learn to push back. And so God is telling you in this text that prayer is the way that you're going to push back. And prayer starts with praise. Our text goes on and says this, In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we started with praise and we go to prayer. See, see, prayer is this understanding of praise and, and you need to understand that it starts with turning your eyes towards God and then it moves to the second thing called petition. Prayer starts with praise and then it moves into p- petition. You know, once you get your eyes off yourself, then you can bring your request to God because you're seeing him clearly. You know whose you are and you know who you are. You know, I love this. Um, there's a guy by the name of Daryl Johnson who wrote a book called 57 Words That Changed the World. And what he was talking about was the 57 Greek words in the Lord's Prayer. I've been meditating on the Lord's Prayer and I, I really believe, and you can pray for me, please, church, pray for me. I really believe I'm going to teach on the Lord's Prayer for the next several weeks. Because in this time, in this hour, I believe more than ever, we need to learn how to pray. 
You're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to tell you, you you don't know some of the things, the gold, the treasure that is in the Lord's Prayer. You know, I do lots of funerals outside of the church, and often I will do the Lord's Prayer during a funeral. And I can tell you, people who have nothing to do with church, many of them know the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of been ingrained into our culture because of our Judeo-Christian ethic. And, uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer, people get. And But I want uh, you to understand, I'm going to just read these words to you, and we're going to look at them in the future, but, but, but listen to what it says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You know, in this prayer we're going to find out in the weeks to come, there are six petitions that we can make to the Lord. And those six petitions are are, are kind of commands. We're actually, we're allowed, according to this prayer, and we'll look at this later, you're allowed to actually say, you're speaking to a superior, but you're giving a command. Incredible. You know, the first one is that hallowed be your name. What you're saying to God is, God, I need to see you clearly. I need to see you correctly. So I'm going to worship you. I'm going to start. And I, I ask you to reveal your name to me. That's what you're saying. God, I need to stop looking at the world and stop looking at what's pressing in on me. I need to hallowed your name, Lord God. That's the first of the petitions. It goes on and says, you know, we need to have an experience of the kingdom of God. We say, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, God. And you know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, well, if God's kingdom is so good, why are such bad things happening in this world? Do you know the Bible teaches us that the kingdom of God is not fully manifested yet? It has come and it is coming and it will come. And so part of our prayer is, God, we want the kingdom of righteousness. We want the kingdom of peace. We want the kingdom of joy to manifest in this world. We need to see the consummation of your kingdom. God, we need to see your righteous rule in our land and in our hearts and in our minds. And we say, thy will be done. You know, the will of God is for the good of mankind. But we have freedom to not choose that will. But we pray in the Lord's prayer, oh God, not my will, but your will be done. And so that's part of what we're praying, part of the petitions that we're making before the Lord because we're so easily called astray and pulled astray to try and do our own thing our own way. Don't we see that in our world today, church? And then he talks about our daily bread. You know, we have our provisions. We can bring our needs before the Lord. You know, God, you know, give us today our daily bread. And I want you to understand, church, that's not just about your provision. That daily bread is not just about you. Do you know that God wants to give the bread of life to this world? And so not only is bread about your physical needs, but bread is about your spiritual needs because Jesus is the bread of heaven. And and he's saying, I want to come down and and rule and reign in your life. We need that. But do you know the bread of heaven also refers to the justice that God wants to bring to this world. You know, when you pray for thy, you know, I want my provisions met. I want your, the bread of life. You're also praying for the, the hungry in this world. That's part of what you're praying for. You know, there are people that have needs. You need to look outside of yourself. It's not just about your needs, church. It's the needs of this world around us. He goes on and says, God, forgive us as we've been forgiven. Do you know that our relational needs are so desperate right now? (laughs) 
Not only do we need to be right with God, but boy, do we need to be right with one another. We need to live at peace, not only with God, but with one another. The Lord's Prayer ends on this great note of deliver us from evil. God, deliver us from evil. You know, we think about when we pray that prayer, God's going to not let anything bad happen to us. But you know what it actually is talking about? The word test and the word temptation, deliver us from all temptation, they're the same, the same word. And um, what God is saying that when you're going through a test in this world, what we're asking God to deliver us from, church, listen to me, we're asking him to deliver us from the thought that he is not good. You know, the devil's temptation to you is to tell you that God's word is a liar and that God is not good. That's the temptation. And so we're asking to be delivered from that. God, in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this test, in the midst of this trial, God, don't let us be tempted to think that you're not good. That's what we're praying for in the petitions. And we're going to look at that more fully in the next few weeks. Because God wants to teach us to pray, church. (laughs) It's the greatest way to overcome anxiety and fear. Our prayer ends with thanksgiving, according to the Apostle Paul. It said, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So we move from praise to petition to thanksgiving. And it makes sense, you know, because you think about it. If we start with praise, we get our mind off ourselves. And, and then we, we, we worship God, we see God, and then we move to petition. I don't know about you, but whenever I start thinking about petition and my needs, guess where my mind goes? It gets back on myself. So what happens? We need to end going back to God and being thankful. Church, there is so much to be thankful for in your life right now. You need to be thankful that even though you're in isolation, you are not alone. You are not alone. You are being prayed for. You are being cared for. We, we'll do whatever we can to help you. There's people around you all the time. You know, thank God that you have heat in your house. Thank God that you can turn on the tap and have fresh water. There is so much to be thankful for in this hour. You know, you can even thank God for your government, suspending mortgages for people who, who maybe have lost their job giving instant unemployment insurance for access for people right now in Canada. That's an incredible thing to be thankful for. You can fill in the blank. So much to be thankful for, church, to get our minds back onto God. And if we will submit, if we will be prayerful, if we will be gentle in this hour, what does the Lord promise us? This is what he says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will come in and guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. You see, peace is about prosperity, church. The the word literally means to set at one again. Who do you need to be set at one again with? God. Because, you know, we're opposed to God and there's all kinds of pressures and, and we're moving away from God. And I want you to understand part of peace is that it brings us back to God. that breath of everything's going to be okay. It doesn't even make sense. It passes understanding. When you look at the circumstances, the circumstances don't change, but something changes in your heart. That's what the peace of God passing understanding looks for and looks about and thinks about. God wants us to know that the work of prayer, praise Him, look to Him, bring your needs to Him, your cares to Him, offer the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And sometimes they will be sacrifices, church. 
You won't feel like doing it, but you do it anyway. And then it, it ends with that tagline, which I love. Imagine Jesus guarding your heart. <laughs> Jesus is guarding your heart and your mind. I mean, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God, you know, space and sky and earth flee from his presence. He's so glorious. That who is, is who's guarding your heart and mind. He's guarding your emotions. He's guarding your thoughts. That's a pretty good guard. That's a pretty good sentinel standing over me, giving me peace. So right praying is what God says. And then he goes on in the text, and I'm just going to give this to you really quickly. He says, not only do you need to have right praying, but you need to have right thinking. And listen to what he says about how we think. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good re- of good repute, if there's anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard from us, and practice those things, and the God of peace will be with you. What are you thinking about, church? What are you meditating on? I'm telling you, get your mind into the Word of God. Get your mind onto Christ. Meditate upon Him. Meditate upon excellent and praiseworthy things. You know, one of the words, that word honorable, is actually the word noble. Think about noble things. You're thinking, well, I'm not noble. I'm not nobility. You are nobility. You are king's kids. You are of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is in you. That is who you are. You are the princes and the princesses of the kingdom of God. And God is saying, have noble thoughts today. And noble thoughts aren't just thinking about you and your family. Noble thoughts are thinking about the needs of the people around you. You can think nobly right now in a world that's strained and stressed. There's a great time of testing in the world today, church. A great time of testing. You know, the Lord is longing to see the world turn to Him in this hour. And I'm gonna just tell you a few things. Here's my sense of things. Some people are gonna turn to God in this hour. Many won't, but some will. In the midst of this crisis, they are going to turn to God and thank God for that. And, I, and, and maybe you're one of those people watching right now that's saying, yeah, I need God in my life. Good for you, that you would have courage to, to turn to God. But I'm going to tell you where this is going to go. And you can mark this down. I, I don't know how long it's going to take, maybe a month. My, my sense is around Easter time, things are going to settle down. And you know what mankind is going to do? We're going to say, look what we've done. We beat COVID-19. We beat the coronavirus. Look at how wonderfully wise we are. All the things that we did. We shut this down. We did that. We did this. And we overcame. Isn't mankind wonderful? And we're going to forget God. And we're going to turn back. And after our economy goes through a long time to recover... We're going to drift and not remember. You know, God is saying to the world right now, do you see how weak and helpless you are? Turn to me. Trust in me in this hour. And Christians, I'm going to tell you, you are given an opportunity. You know, you, you, you may be locked in your basement for two weeks. You know what? Have some fun. Binge, fled, binge watch Netflix for a while. 
But more importantly, why don't you binge praying and learning how to pray in this hour? You know, you need to learn how to connect to God. And God is giving us an opportunity right now, a pause in our world to take a breath and to say, okay, I need to learn how to connect and to trust God for my sake of my family and for the sake of my life and the sake of my future. We won't go into some of the things that I think are going to come in the next decade or so, but I think we need to know how to hear God and trust God church right now. It's time for the believers to wake up. It's time for us to turn to God in this hour. It's time for us to actually take our greatest mandate, which is to be a praying church. You know that the Bible is very clear that the nations of the world will turn to the house of God because it's a house of prayer. The number one thing that we can do in this hour is to learn how to pray so that when our neighbors see us, they say, can you teach me what you know? Can you show me how to connect to God the way you connect to God? Can you show me how to find peace under pressure? Because I don't know how to do it, but you seem to know how to do it. And that's the call to the church in this hour. But maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm watching this right now. My friend told me to go online and watch you preach. And I don't really have a relationship with God and I'm freaking out. So what do I do? You know that God loves you. God died, sent his son to die for you. Listen to this scripture in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal and everlasting life. You know, you can call upon the Lord if for such a time as this. You can say, God, I, 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 need, I need you in my life. I need you in my family. You can ask God to come in for such a time as this. You know what? Your father and your family are waiting for you to find your way home to God. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we're here, actually. We're already safe and secure in the hands of God. We're already wrestled, uh, nestling into his arm, and he's protecting us, he's covering us. But you want to know something? God is here for you as well. And this church family is here for you as well. You are loved. It's time to cry out to the Lord. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to join me in this prayer, you can pray this prayer together. And, and it doesn't matter if you've prayed it before. I want you to pray it again, and I want you to let somebody know you've prayed it again. I'm going to tell you how to do that in a minute. But let's pray together, shall we? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I pray now that you will forgive my sins, that you will come into my heart and that you will teach me to live with you in such a time as this. Help me to trust you now. I give you my needs. I give you my thoughts. I give you my family. Now lead me and guide me into all truth and to peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we really want to know about it. You can actually go on our website, www.tfhchurch.ca. Just let us know. There's a place for you to put a comment in. Or you can actually even go on to our prayer at tfhchurch.ca and just send us a prayer request. And you may need a prayer request right now. You can send a prayer. We're praying every day for those prayer requests that come in. You are loved. 
You are important to the heart of God. And in such a time as this, let's not turn to the world for our solutions. They will be temporary solutions, by the way, in this world. But the permanent solution that we need is found in Jesus Christ. God bless you. God love you. Go in the grace and the peace and the power and the presence of your Father. Amen.